from deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. You know, this is one of the, maybe the only at this point in time, occasion I have to leave, to leave the house is to come here and self-isolate with you, ladies and gentlemen. And boy, do I appreciate it. And you, I mean, I appreciate you. You can do whatever you want. You know, there's something peculiar about the obvious. At times, it seems so damn easy to ignore. Case in point, um, during the presidential campaign of 2020, maybe beginning two months out before Election Day, <laughs> President Trump began saying, the only way I'm going to lose this election is if it's rigged, is if they cheat, is if they steal it. That's the only way. Kept planning that planting that in the minds of whoever was still listening. And so it seemed kind of obvious after he lost that he was going to claim that it was stolen and rigged. And, uh, and yet people acted surprised that he wasn't being gracious. And I think there were a couple of, of uh, commentators who had worked with him who had sit, who'd written op-eds and said, oh, if he loses, he's going to be gracious and concede and going, have you not been seeing what we all have been seeing? But it goes way, way back farther than that. The obviousness had been sitting there hanging over us for four years. Maybe you don't remember. In November of 2016, self-same Mr. Trump said that the 2016 election had been rigged and millions of votes had been stolen from him because he believed he had actually won the popular vote then as well as the electoral vote. He said it all over, over and over again. The, uh, the 2016 election was rigged and vote, millions of votes were stolen. And that was an election that he won. And yes, I say... Yet people were surprised this year. He, he doesn't have that broad a bandwidth of stuff in his head from which to select. But now the, uh, the banishment of Parler, the right-wing social media site, the banning of Mr. Trump and his uh, allies from Twitter and Facebook, and um, and Amazon Web Services kicking Parler off their hosting facilities is having is generating this concern among some of those in the um, so-called Intel community, or at least the journalistic wing of it. Oh no, 
Now it's going to be harder to track these people now that they're resorting to encrypted media sites like Signal and Telegram. To which the only sane response, it seems to me, is maybe if the signals and the clues are a little less obvious, maybe if you have to work a little harder to find them, you'll take them more seriously. Hello, welcome to the show.
if they hadn't had to uh, close it to uh, the public and to major performances that could have been sung at the inauguration. Ah. From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show, which is barely started. It, it's not over for oh, minutes yet. And now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Arizal III. Japanese cabinet minister Taro Kono of the, you know, Japanese Konos, has admitted a decision on holding the Olympics this year could go either way as the pandemic continues to leave doubts hanging over the games. Kono is Japan's administrative and regulatory reform minister. Good luck with that. Spoke at a conference amid concerns that the coronavirus pandemic could prevent the games from going forward. Said the country is still continuing efforts to host the delayed games. Admitted it's far from certain the event would go ahead. State of emergency was declared in Tokyo a few days ago. It had been to curb a spike in coronavirus cases. Says Kono, the Olympic Committee must be thinking about Plan B, Plan C, but the situation is not easy. The spike in coronaviruses in Tokyo coincided with the decreasing support in Japan for the Olympics going ahead this year. A Kyoto News survey found around 80% of Japanese people want this year's games canceled or postponed. But, you know, it's a survey. Four-time Olympic champion Sir Matthew Pinsent has suggested moving the Tokyo Olympics to 2024, claiming it would be ludicrous to stage the games this year. In the backdrop, in front of the backdrop of a global health crisis. He's a former member of the IOC, believes Paris and L.A. should host the games four years later than planned. Shuffling the queue, he calls it. But wait, there's more. U.S. broadcaster NBC is seeking to bolster its advertising operation for the Tokyo Olympics with a new sales platform designed to help advertisers create more effective messages. This is from Sports Pro Media. The Olympic ad engine was created by using a combination of machine learning and traditional research, you know, humans learning, to analyze 671 ad campaigns during the Rio and Pyeongchang Olympics. The study purportedly sought to provide an all-encompassing review of the advertising aired by looking at length, tone, sentiment, music, food, animals, athletes, voiceovers, or text on screen. NBC identified nearly 900 individual elements for determining a broad formula to make ads more effective. Those are now being offered as part of the platform to advise teams on how to approach marketing the games. We think chief marketing officers need tools to make really tough decisions, said NBC executive Dave Lovinger. When you have a scale this size, the biggest hurdle is often the creative hurdle because of the opportunity for ridicule and scrutiny of creative. So we thought this was the best way to help people make these tough decisions. 
NBC has already held talks with a handful of brands about using the platform and will now go to market more broadly. And senior IOC member Richard Pound warned any issues with recent legislation passed in the United States could bubble up ahead of the Los Angeles Olympics. This was a law signed to prevent further abuse of athletes under the NCAA or the other organizations. Pound said it could be trouble for the Olympics. It's a movement, and we all need one. Every day! The law in question, of course, was passed after the uh, Larry Nasser attacks on athletes, female gymnasts to be uh, exact. And, um, and the U.S. has also clashed with the World Anti-Doping Agency in recent months over the Rodchenkov Act. The U.S. Office of National Drug Control Policy threatened to pull its funding from WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, unless its demands were met over government's reforms, governance reforms within WADA. WADA later raised the possibility of sanctioning countries like the U.S. that unilaterally withdrew funding. Pound is WADA's founding president, warned the two issues could grow in prominence ahead of the L.A. 2028 Games, or, if Mr. Pinson has his way, the L.A. 30, uh, 2032 Games. They'll wait. The International Olympic Committee strictly prohibits government interference in its national Olympic committees, and that was what was affected by the... Uh, attempt to prevent further abuse of gymnasts and other athletes. So much for the Olympics, ladies and gentlemen, and I mean that in more ways than one. But now... Software vendors, this is a nice story. This is a feel-good story. Software vendors have been targeting hospitals with license audits. The medical units find themselves overstretched with patients at this point due to the coronavirus case surge around the world. According to research from the IT Asset Management Forum, among its members are Vodafone Danske Bank, you're welcome, and Procter & Gamble, Vendors have sought an uptick in revenue via audits of hospitals. You can make money that way? According to the Register, the British Tech Journal, you can. Melody Ayel, Ayeli, Ayeli, but then I sit downy. Uh, Melody Ayeli, chair of the forum, said it was alarming to see the number of hospitals reporting audits during the height of the pandemic. Quote, targeting hospitals with a license audit during an international health... These, these are audits for software, just to be clear. During an international health emergency, which essentially could take away from their efforts to gather resources and work on plans to minimize the toll of this virus, indicates an unfortunate lack of proper judgment from these vendors, she says. She also likes really long sentences. She's also head of IT asset and configuration management. Now, there's a job they didn't tell you about in career day. 
at uh, Toyota North America. In the study, 46% of organizations said they had experienced an increase in audit requests from vendors during the pandemic. These organizations include hospitals and the like. Meanwhile, 50% of respondents said they thought the risk of audits was getting higher. 12% said they expected the risk to increase. Ayeli said software publishers should not be using audits as a surreptitious sales tool during the pandemic. Don't just feel good. The ITAM Reviews poll aligns with the feedback that we've received from our members and peers in the industry that software audits have increased considerably during the pandemic. Audits, she continues, are a common route for software publishers to increase revenue. So this behavior may be unsurprising during a recession as vendors face their own financial challenges. After all, she goes on, however, interrogating customers for even more money during their struggles in an international health and economic crisis does not demonstrate a spirit of partnership nor does it align with most vendors' messaging to promote the overall good of our communities. Unquote. Vendors, again, software companies. You know, software companies. The founder of the ITAM Forum, a longtime software license campaigner, Martin Thompson, he helped organize the survey. He says respondents also reported that some vendors are desperate for a little bit of revenue just to put something on the books. Well, you got to, you know, you got to be able to put something on the books. Otherwise, why keep books? Well, that's an, that's another idea. The survey was based on responses from 82 organizations worldwide, polled between August and September of last year. When it really was a smart, 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 smart world. You know, if you don't, if you, if you don't want to. Deal with software sellers. Don't buy software in the first place. Do you think that's good advice? I do. And now, news of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature, won't you? Soft listening to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Well, here's big news. World leaders and businesses are not putting enough money into adapting to dangerous changes in the climate. They must urgently step up action. This is from a report published this week by the United Nations Environment Program. Talk about the obvious. Last year was the either the hottest or the tied for hottest year on record. Disasters struck every continent, according to Deutsche Welle, German broadcaster. Extreme weather and climate-related disasters have killed more than 410,000 people in the past 10 years, almost all of them in poorer countries. That's why you didn't notice the bodies piling up. That's according to the International Federation of the Red Cross and Crescent. Where's the... Oh, okay. The other symbol. Hard truth is that climate change is upon us, said the uh, executive director of the United Nations Environment Program. Its impacts will intensify even if we live limit global warming. And we're not going to do that. Oh, sorry. We cannot afford to lose the race to adaptation. The Adaptation Gap Report, now in its fifth year, finds, quote, huge gaps, unquote, between what world leaders agreed to do on the, the Paris Agreement and what they need to do to keep their citizens safe from climate change. 
a review by the Global Adaptation Mapping Initiative, the GAMI, of almost 1,700 examples of climate adaptation found that a third were in the early stages of implementation, I say, and only 3% had reached the point of actually reducing risks. Disasters like storms and droughts have grown stronger than they should be. I don't know what that means. Because people... uh, Than they were, I think would be better wording there. Because people have warmed the planet by burning fossil fuels and chopping down rainforests. There are two ways scientists say to lessen the pain that warming will bring, mitigating climate change by curbing carbon pollution and adapting to the hotter, less stable world it brings. About three-quarters of the world's countries have national plans to adapt, adapt, according to the report, but most lack the regulations, incentives, and funding to make them work. So they're adaptations in name only. Getting back to that uh, question of whether 2020 was the hottest year or not, global meteorological agencies, according to the BBC, agree that it was a scorching year. They're divided and where it ranks in the uh, Heating Up the World Hall of Fame. For NASA, last year is in a statistical dead heat. (laughs) I get it. With 2016 as the warmest year. Others, like the UK Met Office, Met for Meteorology, Met or Meteor, yeah, would be the Met Office, but it, you see why that doesn't. Believe it is second in the rankings dating back to the 19th century. All agencies reporting this week agreed that the last 12 months are part of the warmest decade on record. We can agree on that, can't we? Just last week, a report from the EU's Copernicus Climate Change Service indicated 2020 was tied with 2016. Thursday's reports from key agencies around the world show some dissent. All agree, though, 2020 is in the top three. The uh, National Oceanographic, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in the United States have uh, 2020 in second place. The Japan Meteorological Agency has 2020 as the third warmest year. The differences between the data sets are all within the margin of error, says the World Meteorological Association. Taken together, they show the climate. The global temperature is now around 1.2 degrees centigrade above the 1850 to 1900 average, sometimes referred to as the pre-industrial figure. That's weird. Go figure. We industrialized before 1900. I do believe, uh, check me on that. Ongoing emissions of CO2 from human activities are the key element in driving up temperatures, say researchers. They went down 7% last year because of the COVID thing, but it wasn't enough. Climate change did not skip a beat in 2020, according to a new study of the ocean. The ocean. We think of them as several oceans, but this study thinks of them as the ocean. The ocean experienced record warming, and surface temperatures reached levels not seen in decades. Well, what was going on decades ago? The study was published in the journal Advances in Atmospheric Sciences. It was conducted by a team of scientists who hope their latest evidence on oceanic conditions can persuade policymakers and contributors to implement drastic change before the damage becomes irreversible. So some people still hope. Over 90% of the excess heat due to global warming is absorbed 
by the oceans, so ocean warming is a direct indicator of global warming, said the lead author, Lijing Cheng. However, due to the ocean's delayed response to global warming, the trends of ocean change will persist at least for several decades into the future, so societies need to adapt to the now unavoidable consequences of our unabated warming. But there's still time to take action. And save the ocean. Earth's ability to absorb nearly a third of human-caused carbon emissions through plants could be halved between, uh, within the next two decades as the current rate of warming continues, according to a new study in Science Advances. More than two decades of data from measurement towers in every major biome across the globe indicates a critical temperature tipping point beyond which plants' ability to capture and store carbon. The land carbon sink. Hey, what's happening with the sink? Well, it decreases that ability as temperatures continue to rise. The terrestrial biosphere, the activity of land, plants, and soil microbes, does much of Earth's breathing, exchanging carbon dioxide and oxygen. As record-breaking temperatures continue to spread across the globe, this may not continue. This exchange of biosphere generally taking in more carbon than it is released. The lead author of the uh, new survey noticed sharp declines in photosynthesis above the temperature threshold in nearly every biome across the road. The globe. It's a globe. Tom? A globe even after removing other effects such as water and sunlight. Well, don't remove the water and sunlight. I'm going to live that way. The Earth has a steadily growing fever, and much like the human body, we know every biological process has a range of temperatures at which it performs optimally and ones above which function deteriorates, said the lead author. We asked, how much can plants withstand? And the study is the first to detect a temperature threshold for photosynthesis from observational data at a global scale, Tom. A global scale? Ah, close enough. Temperature thresholds for photosynthesis and respiration have been studied in the lab. This data provide a window into what actual ecosystems across Earth are actually experiencing and how they're responding. I think they're thumbs down. People worried about the climate crisis are deciding not to have children. Now this... This is proving, I think, nature's a clever beast, and it works in cute ways. People worried about the climate crisis deciding not to have children because of fears their offspring would have to struggle through a climate apocalypse, according to The Guardian. And that's uh, quoting a first academic study of the issue. And an international team of researchers has used a new modeling technique, you know, where you thrust your hips out and pout your lips, no, not that one. To estimate that by the year 2100, the world's cities could warm by as much as 4.4 degrees Celsius. That more than uh, doubles the uh, Paris Agreement's hard goal of limiting the global rise to no more than 2 degrees. Global, global climate models have, up to now, tended to snub urban areas. Snub, and for good reason. They make up just 3% of the planet's land surface. We're closing that gap, says a climate scientist at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, lead author of a recent paper published in Nature, Climate Change, describing the modeling. 
we provide urban-specific projections for the future. Steam's model suggests hotter cities could be catastrophic for urban public health, already suffering from the effects of increasing heat. So get back to the farm, won't you? News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. She loved me fine when I was riding from Hong Kong And she dug it even better Calling long distance on the phone And cool and sexy Getting that postcard from Brazil All but now I'm back here back home
from New Orleans. This is the show. A lot of lining going on, I guess. And now... I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir, you. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. And now we encounter the phenomenon of Neptune balls. For your listening pleasure. Underwater seagrass in coastal areas appear to trap past pla- all right. to trap plastic pollution in natural bundles of fiber known as Neptune balls. This is according to The Guardian, quoting researchers. With no help from humans, that's a relief, the swaying plants anchored to shallow seabeds may collect nearly 900 million plastic items in the Mediterranean alone every year. This uh, study was published in Scientific Reports. We show that plastic debris in the seafloor can be trapped in seagrass remains, eventually leaving the marine environment through beaching, according to the, uh, the uh, lead author, a marine biologist at the University of Barcelona. This cleanup represents a continuous purge of plastic debris out of the sea. So we need more Neptune balls, I think is the... Uh, point of the thing. Study adds to the long list of services that seagrass provides for ocean ecosystems and the humans living near the water's edge. They play a vital role in improving water quality, absorb CO2, of course, and exude oxygen, because they're plants, and are a natural nursery and refuge for hundreds of species of fish. They're also the foundation of coastal food webs. Don't get trapped in one of those. They anchor in shallow water so they help prevent beach erosion and dampen the impact of destructive storm surges. There's 70 species of marine seagrass. Pick your favorite and see if it wins in the the, uh, contest we're never going to have. They're grouped in several families of flowering plants that originally on land recolonized the ocean 80 million to 100 million years ago. You think they had the right idea? I wouldn't mind some gills right about now. Growing from the Arctic to the tropics, most species have long grass-like leaves that can form vast underwater meadows. It's unclear if collecting the plastic damages the seagrass itself. We hope not. The uh, team studied a species found only in the Mediterranean, Posidonia oceanica. That's my favorite. They counted the number of plastic particles found in sea balls that had washed up on four beaches in Mallorca, which has large seagrass meadows offshore. There was plastic debris in half of the loose seagrass leaf samples, up to 600 bits per kilogram of leaves. Only 17% of the tighter bundled seagrass fiber, known as Neptune balls, contained plastic, but at a much higher density, nearly 1,500 pieces per kilogram of sea ball. And yes, I do enjoy saying that. Using estimates of seagrass fiber production in the Med, researchers worked up an estimate of how much plastic might be filtered in the entire basin. The oval orbs, Neptune balls, just to remind you, they're the shape of a rugby ball formed from the base of the leaves that have been shredded by the action of ocean currents but remain attached to the stems. As they're slowly buried by sedimentation, the damaged leaf sheath form stiff fibers that intertwine into a ball collecting plastics in the process. I don't know about you, 
but I'm saying hail Neptune sea balls, Neptune balls today on the program. Hail Neptune balls. And now we get to uh, <laughs> President Trump. The uh, president's office, uh, in lieu of a daily schedule, has issued exactly the same verbiage for about the past week and a half. The president will make a lot of calls and have a lot of meetings today. It's not the exact verbiage, but that is the essence of it. Uh, we know that uh, he's met, among the people that he's met with, of course, the uh, my pillow guy last week. Um, he's meeting, apparently, with Rudy Giuliani again. Maybe the only lawyer that will meet with him at this point in time, or that he'll meet with. Um, and while the White House staff clears out their stuff, there are reports from those who are still allowed in that it is an empty and uh, spooky place. President um, <laughs> President is um, still in his uh, in his place in that place of his. The the staff, of course, a lot of people now admitting that they were trying to uh, let him experience the five stages of grief, just wading through it, but um, now lamenting that he seems stuck in the first one, denial. Um, and yet, as he um, meets with, as I say, uh, fewer and fewer people, having many calls and meetings during the day, according to the statement, um, he may have been meeting with his... Uh, co-composer. First time in my life I don't want to look in the mirror Cause I'd see the end of a truly gold leaf era Like getting my legend written up by a stone-cold fake newser. But the winning doesn't end when you're the world's greatest loser. Fate that I feared 
But now I know Al Gore was right. I'm gonna try and grow a beard. You know I'll miss the attention. You know I'll miss the power. You know I'll miss the ribeyes sautéed in spicy flour. I'm gonna prove that a beggar can still be a chooser. The winning just keeps going when you're the world's greatest loser. There he goes. And now, news of the godly. The uh, Irish Prime Minister is issuing a state apology, Michael Martin, to all the victims of Ireland's mother and baby homes after a new report highlighted the cruelty, abuse, and brutal misogyny suffered by those inside. These are uh, homes established by um, the government and or the church. The report of the Commission on Mother and Baby Homes released this week after being established, the commission was in 2015, provides a full account of the horror experienced by vulnerable women and children in Ireland's institutions between the years of 1922 to 1998. This is according to the Irish Post. Approximately 56,000 women gave birth to 57,000 children in the mother and baby and county homes investigated by the commission. Report states there's likely to be a further 25,000 unwed mothers and a larger number of children in homes that were not investigated. Mothers as young as 12 were detained in these institutions. The report states that some pregnancies were as a result of rape. Some women had mental health problems, some an intellectual disability. The majority, though, were indistinguishable from most Irish women of their time. The only difference between the women in mother-baby homes and their sisters, classmates, and work companions was that they became pregnant while unmarried, unquote. Children born in these institutions had an extremely high rate of infant mortality. The death rate between among infants in mother and baby homes was almost twice that of the national average in 1945 and 46, according to the report. Statistics reveal around 9,000 children died in the institutions which were investigated, about 15% of all children in the homes. In the 30s and 40s, 40, almost half the children born in the institutions died before their first birthday. These high mortality rates were known to local and national authorities at the time and recorded in official publications. Many of the homes, particularly Kilrush and Tuam, where the bodies of some 800 children were found to be buried in a septic tank some years ago, had, quote, appalling physical conditions, unquote. There were, quote, Continuous requests for coffins of various sizes from the home in Kilrush, suggesting a large number of people died while there. Anyone who has experienced the workings of a home for unmarried mothers will tell you that such a home must be in a place that's quiet, remote, and surrounded by high boundary walls. 
In many cases, they're on the lookout to get in touch with men, and some of them cannot repress their excitement, even when a man comes to the home to deliver a message. This is uh, from the Archbishop of Tuam, one of the small areas, dis- explaining why they, are, uh, they were built in such out-of-the-way locations. The report acknowledges that the women and children should not have been in the institutions. It states there's no evidence of gross abuse, despite a small number of complaints of physical abuse. The Irish Examiner reports a number of children who were born and spent time in the homes report physical abuse, though, with one person losing their hearing after being dragged by their ears. Another man being told to put his hand in boiling water for misbehaving. A boy forced to drink from the toilet after being denied water when suffering from chickenpox. Multiple children reporting they were bathed in boiling water and Jay's fluid, yeah, I don't know what that is, which burned their skin. One man stated his mother told him she was removed from the homes for attacking a nun after she found, quote, a safety pin going through his member when he was an infant, unquote. Thirteen forced clinical trials for vaccines also took place in children in homes across Ireland which were not compliant with the ethical standard of the time. Consent was not obtained from either the mothers or the children. Dark, shameful chapter of Irish history in the mother and baby homes. News of the Godly. It's a copyrighted feature of our broadcast and related... The Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. So as I say, the Irish Prime Minister, Michael Martin, said uh, mothers and their children had paid a heavy price for Ireland's, quote, perverse religious morality. In past decades, quote, we have a completely warped attitude to sexuality and intimacy. Young mothers and their sons and daughters paid a terrible price for that dysfunction, he said in his apology. The mayor of Thornborough, uh, sorry, Thomasboro, Illinois, has come under fire for a video he made after attending that rally on the 6th. Issued a statement condemning the riots and apologizing for his remarks. Tyler Evans said he made the video before he had a full understanding of the actions of the rioters. As a result, my remarks were not fully informed on what happened inside the Capitol by extremists, he said. I take full responsibility for any hurt my words caused, and for that, I am sorry. He said he had no desire or plan to take part in any extreme acts. I was there to attend a rally in protest. He recorded the video, his original video, in his motel room after taking part in the rally and said he saw very little, if any, of the violence that happened. He also commented on the lack of portable toilets at the site. A statement from the editor of The American Thinker, a conservative publication, quote, we received a lengthy letter from the defamation lawyers from Dominion, the voting machine company, explaining why they believe their client has been the victim of defamatory statements. We've agreed to their request that we publish the following statement. And they name some pieces they published in American Thinker, talking about Dominion conspiring to steal the the election from Donald Trump. These pieces rely, the editor continues, 
on discredited sources who have peddled debunked theories about Dominion's supposed ties to Venezuela, fraud on Dominion's machines that resulted in massive vote switches or weighted votes, and other claims falsely stating there is credible evidence that Dominion acted fraudulently. These statements, the editor of the American Thinker continues, are completely false and have no basis in fact. Industry experts and public officials alike have confirmed that Dominion conducted itself appropriately and that there is simply no evidence to support those claims. It was wrong for us to publish these false statements. We apologize to Dominion for all the harm this caused them and their employees. We also apologize to our readers for abandoning journalistic principles, nine of them, and misrepresenting Dominion's track record and its limited role in tabulating votes in the election. We regret this grave error. There'll be more of those. Big money defamation suits have that effect on people. On a related issue, Teespring, t-shirt company, has apologized and discontinued sales of clothing that alludes to the Auschwitz concentration camp. The e-commerce company, which allows people to create and sell their own custom apparel, has come under fire for selling shirts like the one worn by a rider at the Capitol. It read, Camp Auschwitz. <laughs> It's cute. Since images of the rioter in the shirt went viral, several news agencies cited sources who have identified him as Robert Keith Packer of Virginia. It's not known where the protester purchased his shirt, but people quickly took to the uh, social media in the wake of the siege, condemning the companies that sold the anti-Semitic merchandise. In a message shared on Twitter, Teespring began with the following. We're sick to see the designs brought to our attention on social media. We're truly sorry for the distress caused to communities and individuals alike. Hateful content is strictly prohibited and is against our policies and values as a company. Given the nature of this situation, we will also be making a donation to the Auschwitz-Birkenau Memorial and State Museum. Although the company said in a statement some time ago, sellers have full creative rights when launching new designs as long as they don't violate Teespring's acceptable use policy. Derek Evans, who was charged with two federal misdemeanor counts for entering the U.S. Capitol with a mob, and you know when, has offered an apology to constituents, friends, and family members shortly after resigning from West Virginia's House of Delegates. I hope this action I take today can remove any cloud of distraction from the state legislature so my colleagues can get to work and Earnest building a brighter future for our state. Earnest building. And more importantly, I hope it helps to begin the healing process so we can all move forward and come together as the one nation under God, said Evans in a statement. Before the resignation, lawmakers were already anticipating a motion and vote to expel his butt. They line Hutto, Texas. Hello, Hutto. People in Hutto are frustrated with ongoing disruptions that's being caused by a nearby amphitheater during scheduled performances from major musical acts. Uh, this week, the Brushy Creek Amphitheater hosted Dead Mouse, widely popular electronic producer, DJ, and musician. Um, numerous reports from neighbors who live miles away saying the music shook their homes, beginning with sound checks in the afternoon until the concert wrapped just before midnight. The uh, amphitheater acknowledged the dozens of negative comments people were posting about the noise levels. Thank you for the feedback. The team works closely with the city and county to obtain all necessary permits. Spurks 
spokesperson, spokesperson for the city of Hutto, said she was feeling ca- fielding calls, emails, and complaints about the concert all weekend, having one-on-one conversations with sound engineers to find a solution. Here's one. Turn it down. See if it works. City manager apologized to Hutto residents and surrounding neighbors who were, quote, significantly inconvenienced by the concert. The statement said there will be no more events there until the city has worked with a sound engineer to study the problem and find solutions to mitigate the noise. Bring the noise and mitigate it. Coinbase issued a rare apology this week to U.K. and European Union customers who said, according to the major cryptocurrency exchange, have been affected by weeks of systems outages and trading restrictions. Your money's no good. We had an outage. Always a good idea. And finally, a Texas megachurch pastor and former spiritual advisor to two U.S. presidents has been sentenced to six years in prison for bilking investors out of millions of dollars. How did that happen? Kirby John H. Caldwell, Kirby John is one word, ladies and gentlemen, in Texas, was sentenced in Shreveport here in Louisiana, where he and his co-defendant, Greg Smith, were indicted a couple of years ago. No, three years ago. Caldwell, in March, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit wire fraud, was the senior pastor of Houston's Windsor Village United Methodist Church. 14,000 members. He's been a spiritual advisor to Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama. They used their clout and influence, say the prosecutors, to persuade people to invest about $3.5 million in historical Chinese bonds, reportedly issued by the former Republic of China that uh, got kicked out of China in 1949. The bonds aren't recognized by China's current government and have no investment value. You need a faith leader to get you to invest in that. The uh, chairman of the Family Personnel Committee of the church said Caldwell has taken full responsibility, paid full restitution to the victims. Mr. Caldwell has apologized and asked forgiveness from the people harmed in this matter, he said. That's nice. See? A feel-good story after all. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time on these same stations at the same time, unless we lose our time slot, and on your audio device of choice whenever you want it. And it would be like having a new president by midweek. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO for help with today's program. The email address for this program. The playlist of the music here on and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts all at harryshearer.com. And me, I haven't been kicked off Twitter. I'm at the Harry Shearer. Yeah, and I'm busting my buttons over that. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the Crescent City.